Galatians chapter 2. Good to see you this morning. Good to see we have visitors with us. Also want to say, I know that we have some who are watching online and worshiping with us in that way. We want you to feel welcome and uh, glad that you have joined us and been with us for uh, this time of our worship this morning. We're going to be doing things a little bit of a different order uh, because of the nature of our fifth Sunday worship. Uh, the elders have set aside this time to have a service that is focused on the Lord's Supper and our partaking of the Lord's Supper. And so my thoughts are going to be directed toward that, how we can partake appropriately. And after I am finished uh, in just a moment, the men will come up and serve the Lord's Supper and we'll partake of that this morning. But that's the reason for the shift and some of the, uh, the order of things that we're doing this morning. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians 2 and verse 20. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, there are some statements that are so ingrained in us, they are so familiar, that they lose their meaning. And as I was thinking about that, the, the things that came to my mind immediately were some of the things that have to do with being an American. Uh, the Star Spangled Banner, for example. The words of that song, even though they are intended to commemorate a, a night of battle and then seeing the flag after the battle still waving... We don't really think about that when we sing it. When we sing it, we just think about America, especially home of the brave, and we think, wow, we're brave, you know, that's great. We pledge allegiance to the flag. We're not always thinking about what it means to give our allegiance. We talk about life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I'm not sure that we process everything that that phrase implies. Those are things that have to do with being an American that somehow lose their flavor as we use them so long. We become so familiar. And, of course, that can happen with spiritual things where centuries of usage of certain phrases and ideas makes them so familiar that they lose their importance. And I believe we have a phrase here that is like that. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. Why would he say that? Paul had not been crucified with Christ. If Paul had been crucified with Christ, he could not have written this. He would have been dead. And there is no sense in which Paul was physically crucified with Jesus. Now, that's one of those phrases that sounds really religious, and it sounds interesting, and it sounds like something that we should say as Christians, but it's one of those that has lost its meaning for us. And so I want to take some time examining this idea of being crucified with Christ, because what Paul is saying when he says, I am crucified with Christ, is that we need to take a view of the cross that is participatory. It's something that we are involved in, not just Jesus. And so as we are gathered this morning to remember Jesus and his sacrifice, to look again at the cross, we've just sung how we survey the wondrous cross. As we do that, we need to see not just Jesus dying on the cross, but we need to think of ourselves as crucified with him. So I want to lead us in a study that will show the impact of what that means and how we can work through how I have been crucified with Christ. So first of all, when Paul uses this expression, what he means is that I am dead to what I was. I am dead to what I was. That's what he means in Galatians 2. Now the context of the passage we just read is that Peter has shown himself to be a hypocrite because Peter used to eat with the Gentiles in Antioch, but when some of the Jewish Christians came down, he felt peer pressure and went back to keeping himself apart from the Gentiles. Paul calls that, you are rebuilding what you destroyed. You're becoming the man you used to be instead of the man you've become in Christ. And so Peter is challenged by Paul. Paul says, I withstood him to his face. 
And look at some of what the rebuke is. In Galatians 2 and verse 18, Galatians 2 and verse 18, he says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. So I don't rebuild what I tore down. What that means is I don't go back to who I used to be. I used to be a certain kind of person, but something has changed in me and I don't rebuild it. I don't go back. Instead, he says, I live in a new way. In verse 19, through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Dying to something. That's an important idea. That's not a common phrase we use. To die to something. In Paul's language, means that is dead, that's gone. There is such a separation between who I was and who I am. It's as if the old man is dead. He died and a new man has taken his place. And so I died to the law, he said. And now, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So Paul is just simply saying, you can't be saved by keeping the law anymore. That's who you used to be. And if you just could keep the law and be right with God, then Jesus didn't need to die. So, he says, you can't rebuild the law guy. You died to the law. I am dead to what I was. I have been crucified with Christ. Now, that might not relate directly to us. Because most likely... We were not raised the way Paul and Peter were, under the law of Moses, keeping the law of Moses as observant Jews. Most likely, we have not experienced the kind of transition he's describing, where he used to not eat with Gentiles and now he does. He used to be a different kind of person than he is now in terms of the law. But we can relate to the idea, right? We can relate to the idea that there are things we used to do and people we used to be in ways we used to treat others that we don't do anymore. And Paul says, that change happened for me. When I was crucified with Christ, I died to that person I was. Turn the page to Galatians 5 with me. Galatians 5. Verse 22. Galatians 5 and 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit... Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So Paul had begun by talking about the works of the flesh back in verse 19. And now he describes the fruit of the Spirit. And he says the difference between people who walk according to the flesh and who walk according to the Spirit is that when we walk according to the Spirit, we have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We died. We are dead to what we used to be and we have become a new person. In Christ. Turn the page to Galatians 6. Galatians 6 and verse 14. Galatians 6 and 14, Paul writes, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So Paul says, in the cross, I see the death of the world, and I see it both ways. I'm died to the world, and the world is dead to me. There is a complete death. There is a disconnect between me and the world because of what happened when Jesus died on the cross. I am dead to the world, and the world is dead to me because what is happening, he says in verse 15, is that there is a new creation where God is recreating the world, and that begins with me. That begins with each one of us as God works in each new front 
of each new human who comes to Jesus, dying to who they used to be, made alive together with Christ. A new creation in Christ. So when I look at the cross, I see Jesus die there, yes. But I also see myself die there too. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Romans 6, 1 and 2. We died to sin. And he talks about how baptism is the burial of that dead man. And we are buried with Christ and we are raised with him to walk in new life. Just like Jesus was raised to walk in new life. So, I am dead to who I was. When I see the cross, I see my death. So if you're keeping tabs here... Paul has said he is dead to the law, he is dead to the flesh, he is dead to the world, he's dead to sin. That's who he used to be. The body of flesh has died. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we need to remember Jesus and what he suffered for us. But there must be something else. When we look at these passages, we see that something has to have changed in you and me. That when we kneel at the cross, we also see our old man, the one we used to be, that needed to die to bring about something new and different. The old man who needed his chains to be broken and to be set free. Now that doesn't mean that we never lapse into being that old man. That we never struggle with that old man sort of coming back to life. It doesn't mean that we don't still need to grow. But it means that the major change in our lives, the day our lives truly began, was the day that we decided to be crucified with Christ and to die to that old man of sin. The second thing this expression means is that I am under new management. Let's go to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. If I have been crucified with Christ, someone else is in charge. In Colossians 2, Paul uses the expression that we have been circumcised with the circumcision of Christ and we've been buried with him in baptism and we've been raised with him. And so in Colossians 3 and verse 1, he takes that expression and goes further. Colossians 3 and verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So if you have been raised with Christ, he says in verse 1, again picturing it as death and burial and resurrection, if you've been crucified with him, if you've been raised with him, then now what? Now he says you seek the things where he is. Your life is in him. You died with him, now you live with him. And so you seek his things. Verse 2, you set your mind on things that are above. 4, verse 3, you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. He is the key to my new life. He is the one who now sets the tone. He is the one that sets my vision and my perspective. And so Paul goes on in, in Colossians 3 and begins to describe what it looks like to serve under new management. Someone else is in charge of my life. And it begins with me putting to death certain things, starting in verse 5 there. And it begins with me putting on new things, beginning in verse 12, where I have a new character to pursue because Jesus is remaking me, a new creation, as I have died to sin 
and he is now in charge of my life. This is the passage we began with, Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Somebody else is in charge now. It's not me anymore. When did that change happen? It happened when I was crucified with Christ. When I look back to that time where I say, I became a disciple of Jesus, and that old man I put to death to serve a new master. I want you to go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14. The text says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died. I want you to just take a time out before we go any farther. And notice that that is the same idea we've been covering through this whole lesson. That because one died, in him all died. We were crucified with Christ. Verse 15, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the goal, he says, of that death, if Christ died for all, then all died. And the goal, verse 15, is that we should no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who died for us. Here is the logic. The logic is, Jesus died for us. Hasn't he earned the right to tell us what we should do and be. Jesus died to save us from sin. Hasn't he earned the right to now regulate our lives and lead us toward better things than the ones we chose for ourselves? When we were in charge, we had this old man who led us into all manner of shame, like Braxton talked about this morning, all manner of awful things that we did that we were responsible for. Now we say, I'm done with that. I want someone else who knows what they're doing to be in charge of my life. Hasn't he earned that right? We are crucified with Christ so that someone else can be in charge. The beautiful part of this is that as we subject more and more of our lives to Jesus' sovereignty, as I give him more and more of my heart, as I let him in to my relationships, as I let him in to my speech and my thinking, more and more I'm blessed because new management is better than the old. But always the cross is the seminal event I go back to as the time when that management shifted. And the third thing I want us to see is that being crucified with Christ means I'm willing to suffer for Jesus. It's impossible to think about the cross without thinking about suffering. That's really what we focus on when we talk about the cross. But when you see Paul speak of the cross, he speaks about it in terms of his own suffering as a part of the suffering of Jesus. Do you remember how Jesus called his disciples? To think of their suffering as the same as Jesus. Do you remember he said, If anyone would come after me, Luke 9, 23, let him take up his cross daily and deny himself and follow me. Taking up his cross means I have a cross that I bear for Jesus. I suffer for him just as he suffered for me. And that I need to equate those two as I see his suffering. 
It is not enough to say, well, thank you, Jesus, for suffering for me. There is also the call to say, now, what will you suffer for me? I want you to go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Paul takes this very, very seriously as he writes about how he is willing to suffer for Jesus and how he attributes his sufferings to Christ. Philippians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 7. Philippians 3 and verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Notice that. He wants so badly to know Jesus that he is willing to suffer. That's verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. Now that's the part of the verse where I'm going along and I'm fine with, yeah, I want to know him too and I want the power of his resurrection too, Paul. But when he says I want to share in his sufferings, I step back. Realize what he's saying? I'm willing to suffer the way he suffered. I'm willing to share in that. I want you to see this in Paul. Just look at the board for just a minute. Paul writes, if, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also be glorified with him. 2 Corinthians 1.5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Colossians 1.24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. From now on, Galatians 6.17, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul suffered, and Paul says, this is suffering, it's Jesus' suffering. Just like he went to the cross for me, I suffer for him. Physical suffering harm and pain and rejection. I suffer for him. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. I really want us to connect with this idea. 1 Peter chapter 4, that we have an obligation to not just see Jesus' suffering as something done for us, but as something that we may have to endure for him. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Now he says in verse 12, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. That's an important idea. Because opposition and persecution because of the gospel are to be expected. That is not something that should shock us. And by the way, that is not something that changes because we live in America. That is a reality of the world and God. We should not be surprised when people oppose God's people because the world is in opposition to God. Remember how Jesus said, if they do these things when the, the kindling is wet, what will they do when it's dry? Remember how Jesus said, if they call the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of the house? If they treated Jesus the way they treated him, why would we expect different and better don't be surprised, he says. But then in verse 13, he says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Connect your suffering with the suffering of Jesus. 
Now, we need to understand that when these passages mention suffering, when I talk about suffering for Jesus, I am not just talking about regular suffering that we all go through. So you guys know, about this time last year, I tore my Achilles when I was playing basketball. Okay? There was some suffering involved. I was not suffering for Jesus. That was not suffering for Jesus. That was suffering for Jacob because I wanted to play basketball. I probably shouldn't have done so much. That's not the same. We can't just look at everything that goes wrong in our life and say, oh, well, I'm just going to bear up under this because I'm doing it for Jesus. It's just my cross to bear. That's very different from, in fact, I, I think it's almost insulting to what people in the New Testament went through that was directly attributable to their faith. When people were put in prison and brought before rulers and punished because they believed in Jesus, when they were threatened, when they lost their jobs, when they were kicked out of certain places, they had to move because they were Christians. What he is saying is, when things come up that there is opposition and hostility that is expressed toward us, when there are difficulties that come because we're trying to live out what we know to be true, when there is hardship that comes because we are trying to do what's in the Bible, and it's hard in our time, people are not responding the way they should toward us, that we connect that suffering to Jesus' suffering. That still happens in our world. It continues to grow in our world. It grows in our country. And we need to remember that Christianity is not a religion that can only survive when everything is good and everybody lets us do whatever we want. Christianity is not a religion that only survives when we always have freedom from fear of the government or opposition. Christianity is not a fleshy, soft religion. It's not flabby. It's not an ivory tower religion. It is a religion that began and continues with suffering, with hardship and difficulty. And you cannot miss it when you see Jesus on the cross. That's the point. So when I have difficulty and opposition, I need to connect to that and remember, I'm not doing anything differently than what my Savior did for me. And to remember, if Jesus went through all of this for me, what is there that I can hold back and say, no, I'm not sure that it's worth that. I'm not sure I'm ready to give that up. If I see Jesus on the cross, how can I hold back from some suffering? So we're about to take the Lord's Supper. I want to remind us that as we partake, we're not simply commemorating him. I also want us to remember how his sacrifice makes these parts of my life possible. It is personal. As I watch him die, I remember how I died. How I'm dead to the world and to voices that call me. How that old man ended his reign in my life on that day. As I watch him die, I remember that I'm under new management. That is, I'm no longer in charge of my old life. That I remember what a disaster it was when I lived for myself. And that the all-wise, all-knowing, all-giving Master and Lord of the universe is now my Lord and Master. And to ask myself the question, is he pleased with how I'm living under his management. And as I think about his sacrifice and what he has done for me, the call that he gave to take up my cross daily and suffer for him, 
to remember in this moment that there is no task that is too lowly, no opposition that is too strong, nothing that is too insulting for me to suffer for Jesus. So I urge you to think about these things as we partake. We'll ask the men to come forward and serve us. Appreciate all of those who have been helping us worship this morning. I'll try to remember our Savior. I want to close with a, a thought from 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. It's very interesting to me that for a lot of people, the impression they have of Christians and Christianity is that Christians are people who are very harsh and judgmental, people who feel they're better than others and look down on them, people who seem to have it all figured out, who get up on Sunday morning and dress real nice, get all cleaned up. I don't see that in Paul's wording here. Paul talks very openly about his past. This is who I used to be. And the only reason that matters is because Jesus has done something with him that is surprising. He has changed him from a man who he describes as a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent and made him into a, a wonderful man, a man of God, a man of great faith. And what Paul says here is that that's really the story of all Christians. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come into the world to save people who are already fine. There was no reason to come. Or as Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Those who are well have no need of a doctor. And so it appears to me that it's important for us to remember, to remind ourselves, to remind those who are visiting with us, what Christians really are, which is sinners who have been saved. Nothing more and nothing less. Sinners Jesus died for. And we continue to, like Paul, have a past that we remember. We all remember it. We all have it. We all have our own labels that we could attach in verse 13 about who we were. And we could describe those things, and sometimes we do. And we could battle with those things, and sometimes we do. As Braxton talked about, sometimes those things still bother us and concern us. But the good news of the gospel is not that, that suddenly we're completely different and we're good people. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus loves us in spite of the fact that we are who we are. And that Jesus died to save us from that and to transform us from the inside out. Just like we talked about this morning, that we can be crucified with Christ and we can be under new management, that we can become a new creation in Him. And so, if you look around, and if you talk very long, although I'm sure not all of us are very interested in giving you the full dirt on everything we've done in the first few minutes of meeting us. 
But if you talk to us very long, you'll notice that, that every one of us is an unfinished product. Every one of us is still battling and struggling. And every one of us has seen growth from the time that we became a Christian to now. And every one of us still has areas in which we're trying to grow. Every single one of us. And we gather in a community like this to help each other in that project. That's what a Christian is. That's what a church is. And I just thought it would do well for us to be reminded. For one, so that we don't get too big for our britches. And begin to think that we are something we're not. Better than we are. But more than that, because it's likely that there are some here this morning who are really battling with sin and feeling guilt and needing forgiveness. And you need to know you're not alone. You need to know that's the pattern, but that you still need the forgiveness of Jesus, the forgiveness he died to provide each one of us. And so if you are ready to receive that, whether you've never had it before and you need to be baptized into Christ, that old man of sin to die and be buried with him and to be raised to walk in new life, or if you are a Christian and you know you need forgiveness and you need help and you need prayer, we want you to know that this time is for you. And we mean what we're saying when we say that you're not alone. And we invite you to get that help. And if there's anything we can do to let us know about that as we stand and sing to encourage you.